0: Amen. Hey, I came across this quote, and I want to throw this out just as a, just as a lens to help us kind of get to the text to try to understand it. Sometimes we come across passages like this and what happens is we just are so familiar with it. And so for me, for my brain and hopefully for yours, like sometimes coming from a different angle is helpful. And so there's this there's this business guy and he's no he's no guru. We're not trying to run a business here, so to speak, but he he puts his finger on something that I do think helps us. So if you you've ever heard of Peter Drucker, he had this to say uh, years ago. He says There is nothing so useless as doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. Let that one just kind of ring in your ears a little bit. Let that sit there and think about it. There's, there's nothing so useless as doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. Like you're, you're just wasting your time and you're, you're doing things that might look good or might look effective or might look like they're the right things to do when they're actually not even close to what we're supposed to be doing. And so uh, think about that as we walk into this text and see what's happening. Like this text leads us to see something really important. God is at work uh, throughout every aspect of it in ways big and in ways small. God is at work in this story. And and so we want to see kind of what's actually happening. And then we want to take away like, God, what are you actually doing in this? And I think what we see here are three specific things. Now, full disclosure. I was talking with Jeff Nine uh, the other day. He's one of our pastors here. He's preaching in Shawnee at one of our other churches today. And, and he's preaching this same passage. And we were just talking about like, this is one of those passages where we would like to sit in for like three, four weeks. There's so much here. There's so much to unpack. There's so many rabbit trails to chase. There's so many really beautiful things. And, and what, we, what we're going to do in this is just simply take one thread and walk through it God what are you doing what are you speaking to us where where is that today for us so let's just jump in here in Mark chapter 9 verse 14 and see what is actually happening when they came to the disciples they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them and they were not able. Before you, before you jump to conclusions, before we get too deep into this, let's just start with like. Who is present in this? When we're we're trying to figure out what's happening, let's try to figure out first who's present in this story. And let's start here because it's full of pronouns right off the bat. And sometimes those pronouns change of who's there. And so it starts with they and who's they. That's Jesus, James, John, and Peter, who last week, if you're here with us, were on this mountaintop in which they have the craziest experience in recorded history. They have this moment in which they're with Jesus. These three disciples are with Jesus on top of this mountain. And Jesus' unveiled glory is fully fully God right before them, not wrapped in human clothes. And they are like, jaws dropped, blown away. This is unlike anything else. And Peter, of course, is like, I'll build a tent. I'll get a tent. They have this crazy mountaintop experience, and here they are, and the next thing that we find at them is in real life down on the ground, like they barely make it off the mountain before all of life comes rushing into them. And if we just stop there, one thing that we could say is like, that sounds like real life, doesn't it? Maybe you've had experiences with God where you you really sensed God meeting you. You really sensed God working with you. And then immediately the kids are pressing in. Immediately pressures of life. Immediately bills. Immediately pain. Immediately your own sin. Immediately something is pressing in on you. And that's exactly what we see here. So the first group of people that are here, Jesus and these three who just had a crazy moment together. The next group that we have uh, is worth talking about is the crowd, the crowd's name. There's always a crowd in Mark's stories. There's a crowd that is paying attention, and and they're around. And one of the things that it says about this crowd is that when they saw Jesus, they were amazed. They were amazed, which is helpful for us. It's really important for us to catch that. The crowd is the ones who were amazed. The disciples are like, yeah, that's Jesus. That's those three. The crowd is amazed. The followers of Jesus are like, Yeah, that's them. We're going to continue our argument over here. Which leads us to our third group, right? Which is that we have the disciples and the teachers of the law. And what are they doing? They're arguing. It doesn't tell us what they're arguing about. It doesn't tell us exactly uh, what's going on and what's why. We, we could probably speculate at some things, but at best that's what it would be, is speculation. But what we know is, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus warns these same disciples, don't buy in, don't eat the leaven, don't take all of that. Don't get caught up in what the Pharisees and the religious leaders are into. Don't buy into that. And what do we have right here is that they are Arguing with the scribes and the people of the law. This is massive. This is a massive problem that we see right here. But these people are here. And, and then there is one other group, so to speak, that we should name and kind of make sure that we're aware of. Because very central to the story and the passage where we're at is a father and a son who are both in really terrible circumstances. A particular father who is coming desperate to Jesus and a son who is helpless and mute. And just stop for a second and think about what is happening. Like it isn't just like, man, this is not a good situation for this boy. This is a boy that by the circumstances of his condition are removed from community. He can't communicate with people. He's not even safe in different just moments with people. This is a terrible spot that as we read further, we see again and again is like, man, it's worse than I even gave it credit for. And what we have is this father says, he says he brought his son to to you. That's what he says. To Jesus, he's like, I brought my son to you. Now, stop real fast because Jesus has been up on a mountain. Who did he bring the son to? He brought the son to these other disciples who were there. He brought the son to them and they, they couldn't cast out the demon. Jesus is on the mountain. He brings it to these disciples, but he says, I brought him to you. Well, that's really important for us because these are the disciples. These are his followers sent to this area to love and serve and to extend his kingdom and to be the hands and feet of Jesus to these people and yet what we have is a man who's now questioning his faith he's more confused than when he started and he's like I'm not even sure if you can do anything that's who's there that's who's here in this Evil is present. We know it. We said that this boy has a demon. Evil is present. And yet instead of finding hope and relief, these people are more confused than ever. So when we say like what's happening, like we we need to just recognize like who's there. Kind of the circumstances around that. But also recognize in this that there are a lot of questions. This passage is full of questions, explicit and implicit. There are questions all over the place. It starts with Jesus' question, like, what are you arguing about? <laughs> Jesus comes with the first question and he's like, what are you arguing about? The the passage ends with a question. The, they're in a quiet room, and the disciples kind of draw near to Jesus, and they say, "Hey, what was going on with that? Why could we not cast out this demon?" And Jesus gives a really rather strange answer for us. As this is one of those rabbit trails that we would like to run down, he says, "This kind," and like my ears perk up. "This kind." That means there's multiple kinds, like this kind. But he points. A, he puts his finger on something really important for us. He says can only come out through prayer. Stop thinking about the demons for a second and think about what that says about the disciples. They were trying to do God's work through their own strength, through their own efforts, through their own planning, through their own, through their own best efforts. They were trying to do God's work, what he'd sent them to by their own means. And what Jesus tells them is that, hey, this kind is only coming out through prayer. And we start to kind of see something really important. When we start asking like, God, what are you doing in this? If you're working in ways big and small, what are the ways in which you're working? And the first thing that I would name for you is that God is working right here in this through failure, He's working right here through failure and the failure of these people. Read with me verse 19. And he answered them. He, Jesus, answered them, the crowd, specifically this father. And he says, oh, faithless generation, how long, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And these words are shocking. These words get your attention real quick because it appears that Jesus is putting dad on blast right here. And he's like, faithless generation to this dad. And that's not actually what's happening. This dad came for help. This dad came for relief from suffering. This dad came to Jesus, right? And catch this, Jesus is rebuking the disciples here. Jesus is rebuking those followers of Jesus right here for their failure to prayerfully look to God in carrying out the tasks that he'd given them you see they they were sent to extend his ministry they were extend they were sent to extend the kingdom of god into these different places they were sent to specific areas and specific locations to extend the kingdom of god so to speak to be his ambassadors and i know that's not the language used here that's the language that paul later on will use to be his ambassadors in a specific place at a specific time And they failed. They got caught up in all sorts of other arguments. I'm sure, they were, I'm, I'm sure they were writing really important Facebook posts. I'm sure that they found the best meme to post and send out. I'm sure that they were they were reading all the right material, and they were telling other people the X and the Y and the, the specifics of, of what they needed to know. We could be certain of that, but they got caught up in all these other arguments, and what they ended up doing was leading people to confusion and ultimately doubt. You see, that's a, that's really important here because their actions, the actions of the disciples. That Jesus is referring to as faithless here is like, how long am I going to be with you? How many times do I have to tell you this? How, how long, people? Their failure actually leads to doubt. Doubt that God's even able. And I have to just think, like. That's not just true way back in Mark 9. That's true right here today. We we live in a city that has experienced a lot of people who claim the name of Jesus. A lot of places that claim the name of Jesus. We live in an area and a time in which a lot of people I don't think we're experiencing Christian persecution from most people here in this. I don't, I don't know of anybody that is persecuting us. I know a lot of people that doubt us and ultimately doubt God. And what they mean is to experience the Holy Spirit through the hands and feet of his followers doing what we're sent to do. You see, like the word hypocrisy comes up a lot in our culture. Everybody talks about hypocrisy. Now, Christians are the biggest hypocrites and to that we should say, yes, we are. And yet the Lord calls us to confess and we, we name it and own it. And sometimes we're, we're hypocrites because we don't name it. But most of the time we're not hypocrites. We're confessing sinners. That's who we should be. That's why we confess all the time. But this passage holds up a big mirror to us. It says, are you so efficient in your religion that you're actually not doing what you're supposed to be doing? It holds a big mirror up to us. It says, maybe you're not failing morally. Maybe you're not failing in addiction or something else. But maybe you are not actually walking as the hands and feet of Christ, as his ambassadors in and maybe we're really comfortable attending a service and, and missing out what you and I have been called to do and to be in this area. Someone smart church historian, like wrote this years ago. Richard Lovelace uh, said this. He said, most congregations... Most congregations of professing Christians today are saturated with a kind of dead goodness. Hear that, feel that for just a second, dead goodness. An ethical respectability, which has its motivational roots in the flesh rather than in the illuminating and enlivening control of the Holy Spirit. You see, we can be busy doing religious things, Christian-y things. Maybe your, your nightstand, your bookshelf is full of stuff. Maybe you know all the right websites to go to to, to post and to say things. Maybe, maybe you know where the funniest memes are to, to speak out about whatever cultural issue of the moment is. Uh, but my, my appeal to you Is to say, in all of that, are we actually walking out what God has called us to do and to be? Or are they secondary things? Secondary things that are distracting. Secondary things that lead to confusion. Secondary things that, that actually wound and hurt. And notice, Jesus' Jesus's rebuke is shocking. But what comes next is equally like, earthquake level in this. Jesus' response to the man is constantly one that gets our attention. And it, it doesn't stop here. Verse 20 says this. They brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, another question, here it is. How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Just pause right here and be a human being for just a second. Be a human being who gets this. This is a dad right here who has already come and brought his son and it hasn't been working. And now he's pouring out his heart to say, like, this is my boy and this has been happening This has been happening. I don't know what to do. I don't don't know what to do here. And it leads him to say, but if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion. Have compassion on us and help us. That's a real question from a real person who has gone to followers of Jesus for help and they let him down. And Jesus responds. He says, if you can, notice this. If you can, exclamation point. Not question mark. There's, this isn't a question about ability. And this isn't Jesus referring to himself, if you can. Like, if you can, of course I can. This is not Jesus addressing ability. The ability is not in question. Jesus says, if you can. Everything, all things are possible for one who believes you see that everything, that all things are possible uh, for one who believes is also translated in some, uh, as faithful for one who is faithful. Which is interesting to us because the story isn't just like, what's God doing through failure? It's what's God doing through faith? What's God, what, what can God do through faith? And the answer is limitless. What is God doing through faith that's central to this story and that is central to our story? Why Why is that so central? Because it's the same God, the same glorious, high and lifted up, holy one in full display. It's the same God who is right there revealed on that mountain who meets this man and meets us in the mess, in the madness, in the chaos, in the sin, in the brokenness. It's the same God at work in Mark nine and right here at 10 West. And verse 24 is that line, right? Verse 24 is the one that gets all the headlines. Verse 24 is the words. If you're gonna get a tattoo today, tattoo this on your body. If If this is it, this is the one, right here, immediately. That's it, isn't it? We've heard that again and again. If you've been with us through Mark, if you've been reading Mark on your own, you'd say, Man, that Mark uses immediately a lot. And maybe there's a reason why. Immediately, the father of the child cried out. He cried out immediately. Immediately the winds and the waves stop. Immediately, nature turns. Immediately the demons flee. Immediately. Sickness leaves. Immediately the dead are raised. The only ones who argue with the authority of this king are people. Stubborn people who tend to think that we are king. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Here is a father at his wits end. Here's a father desperate. Here's a father with the most honest prayer that we have. And here's a father who is the example for us that the disciples should have been in this moment. Honestly saying, I believe and I'm a bag of paradoxes i believe and i have all these areas where i struggle i believe and i have all this crap in my life it makes it hard this confession of faith this is this man putting everything in the hands of jesus this is man co- confessing his faith and, and yet also acknowledging his complete weakness. To man recognizing his limitations and his doubts. And so clearly one of the takeaways that we have in this is that this, this healing is not dependent on this guy pulling up his bootstraps and just like, I believe hard enough today. Maybe you grew up in an environment and where you, you, you're like, I believe I prayed the prayer and then on that day and that spot at that specific time, I really believed it. And I, I, hear me, I'm not trying to mock that in any way. I wanna highlight the fact that it's all grace. It's God at work through imperfect faith like this that says, I do believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And so our stories, just like this stories, include failure. It includes imperfect faith, maybe faith, uh, uh, but there's something else present in this story and in our stories. It's faithfulness, and there's a, a certain amount which is the faithfulness of, uh, of followers of Jesus, but the real faithfulness is God who is faithful. It is God who is at work. It's God's faithfulness at, at work in our lives, in this man's life, in which beauty comes. Notice what happens in verse 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out. Come out of him and never enter him again. Notice, there's no negotiation. There's not like, hey, would you please come out? or Get out of here. Get out of him before the crowd gets here. Uh, there's no, this isn't a negotiation. When the king speaks, it changes everything. changes everything. I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he's dead. Here's the moment, right? And you can see it. Here's this moment in which, like, okay, the demon leaves, but thrashes about, smashes the kid, and and everybody thinks he's dead. Probably dad thinks he's dead in this. And yet we know what's coming because we've already read it, and you know there's going to be a happy ending in this, right? There's a happy ending. We know what's coming. uh, But catch it afresh as a human being. This father... Full of doubt, says, I brought my boy to you, and you weren't able, sees his son smashed right before him, who now looks dead, when all he asked for was compassion and mercy. In a confession that is as honest as can be: that I do believe, help my unbelief. And the next thing you get looks like trash. But our passage, passage goes on and verse 27 has these beautiful words that are just as much for him as it is for us. But Jesus. You see, you might be thrashing around you might feel like you're here thrashing about in all sorts of ways, like that you're being smashed by things, that you have people or circumstances or something spiritual in your life that is just throwing you about and you are continually taking a beating and you feel like the one thrashed about, but Jesus... And you may feel like you are left for dead. And you may be in a situation where you're like, this is, this this situation is hopeless. This situation has nothing for us. But these words are here, but Jesus. And in a room like this, in a morning like this, I have no idea what everybody is carrying in here. But Jesus He is faithful. He is compassionate. He is merciful. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. You may feel like you have no hope this morning. But what we see right here is Jesus enacting this life-giving power of the kingdom in this boy's life. And he can do that in your life and in my life today as well. And you may be here this morning feeling like I have no idea how I'm going to pay this bill. I have no idea how this circumstance is going to work out. I have no idea how I'm going to repair this relationship or move past this hurt or this brokenness. But Jesus is right here in this boy's life embodying the resurrection that he will fully live out in just a few chapters later. The one who will go to the cross, will be buried and raised again is embodying that right here in this person's life. And so let me ask you this. Where are those places in your life where like the disciples, you are efficiently working out things that you should not even put your time into? Where are those spaces in your life where you are officially, efficiently neglecting the assignment that God has given you as a follower of Jesus for things that might be nice, but not the task that he's given you? Where are the spots in which you're going full out in christian things while missing the task that God's given us? And let's, let's own that and say, God, I, I've missed it. And yet, you're beautiful, and you're good, and you're faithful. And so I do believe you. Help my unbelief. Where are the spots in which you're doing your best, efficiently working out all the spots where you can try to be your own God? You can try to control all of these things, but you are never meant to do that. You see, the Holy One, the Holy One who sits in heaven, the Holy One who will one day come again, is that same One who is at work today in our messes, in our chaos, in our broken places. And it is because He lives, just like we sang, it is because He lives that we can face tomorrow. It is because He lives that we can immediately turn. We don't have to wait. We don't have to clean up our act. We can immediately turn and confess just like this man that I do believe God. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. What we see in this passage is God doing what only God can do. Bringing hope, bringing life, bringing peace bringing healing, bringing compassion and mercy in ways that only God can. And so will you pray with me? Wherever those doubts are, wherever that place is, that you would cry out, but Jesus, I do believe you.